We wouldn't be where we are tonight if it wasn't for him dying on the cross of Calvary. And even though this world may not admit it, they wouldn't be where they're at without him because they wouldn't be here. They wouldn't exist without Christ dying on the cross. He gave us a second chance, and I thank God for that. If you have your Bibles tonight, turn to Luke chapter 14, verse 25 is where we'll start, and we'll finish out the chapter there. As you turn, you know, I was thinking, as I got to preparing for this sermon, I got to thinking about, you know, nothing's really free in life. You know, you really think about it. You know, we know that it cost heaven the best it had. You know, salvation's not free. You know, it cost something. It cost heaven the most precious thing that it had, the Son of God. But you know, this life, everything that's worth something costs something. A family takes time. It takes, it takes physical effort. It takes emotional effort. You know, it, it, takes, it takes an effort. It costs you something. A marriage... If you want that marriage to be of any worth or any value, it's going to cost you something. You know, education. We all know education. I get a bill every month for my, my, my education. So it costs you something. You know, everything costs you something that's worth anything. But you know, one thing that we, I, I got to thinking about is when we go to evangelize, we tell people it's a free gift, and it is to a certain degree. We'll tell them it costs the best that heaven had, but we don't really tell them what it costs them. We don't really tell them what God requires of them besides, well, you need to be a good person, and you don't need to cuss, and you need to lay down that alcohol, you need to change your, your social structure, how you act, but that's as far as we take it. And you know, the Bible says Jesus in chapter 14, well, we're going to talk about it, he talks about the cost of discipleship. That it costs a little bit more than the way we dress or a little bit of changing our attitude or the way we think. It's a complete new way of being. It's a new way of thinking. It's a new way of acting. It goes down deep within your soul and transforms you into a new creature. In Christ Jesus is what he calls it. So we'll read in chapter 14, verse 25 through 35 here. It says, And there went a great multitude with him, and he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me, hate not his father, his mother, his wife, his children, his brethren, and his sisters, yea, and his own life, also he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not hear, bear his cross, and come after me, cannot be my disciple. For which of you intendeth to build a tower, and sitteth not down, and counteth the cost? whether it suffices to finish it. Lest happily after he hath foundation not able to finish it, and behold, it began, they, the people began to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king goeth to make war against another king, and sitteth not down first, and consulteth whether he be able to ten thousand to meet that that cometh against him twenty thousand? Or else, why others is yet great a way off, he sendeth an ambassador, and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever of you that forsaketh not all he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? And if neither be fit for land, neither it be fit for dunghill, but men cast it out. He hath an ear, let him hear. 
Dearly Father, Lord, we come to you tonight. We thank you, Lord, to be able to read your word. We thank you for the privilege and honor it is to come to your house, Lord. I ask and pray, Lord, that you just let us take a couple of minutes out of our day, Lord, and apply it to you, Lord. Lord, let you be glorified. Lord, let us learn from you, Lord. And Lord, just let it change our lives, Lord, the way it's supposed to. Let the word seep down in our soul, Lord, and find the things in our lives that are false and cracks, Lord, and expose those, Lord, that we can repent, Lord, and we can be able to just turn to you, Lord, and let you fix it, Lord, the author and finish your faith. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So what does it really cost to be a Christian? I guess one thing, if you want to call it, it's counting the cost of this sermon. It's what this sermon's title is. First, radical obedience. You know, he starts off here saying, If a man come not and hate not his father, his mother, his wife, his children, his brothers and sisters... You know, Christ used a very strong language here when he said hate. He wasn't saying necessarily hate. He was trying to convey the highest level of obedience, that Jesus comes first, that I come first. You want to be my disciple, I come first. Before your father, before your mother, before your very children, I come first. If you want to follow me, that's what it's going to cost you. Radical obedience. That seems harsh, but you know, the thing about it was, is in that time, when people really, unfortunately, we've lost that. Family was a core thing. Grandparents and great-grandparents, it was a very core thing. It took up a lot of your time and day because you didn't just kick the elderly out. You took care of them. They stayed with you when they got old, so you took care of them when they couldn't take care of themselves no more. Your children, you invested in your children, because quite frankly, if you didn't, you didn't have workers to help you. I mean, that was just the reality of the situation that you were in back in those times. And that carried forth to many generations up to the late 1900s. But he was saying, look, I come first if you want to follow me. You know, he also said it in Matthew 8, 18 through 22. It says, now when Jesus saw a great multitude, here again, he wasn't just talking to a couple of people here. A great multitude of people. He says, he gave them a commandment to depart from another side, and a certain scribe came and said unto him, Master, I will follow thee wheresoever thou goest. And Jesus said, the foxes have holes, the birds of air have nests, but the Son of Man hath nowhere to lay his head. And another disciple said unto him, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said, follow me, let the dead bury the dead. Now that sounds pretty harsh that you wouldn't let a man go bury his father. But what, what you've got to understand is back in that day, it wasn't just going and burying your father. It was a year-long process that went on of burying a, a, a father or a mother. It was a symbolic uh, last rites, if you will, of honoring your father and mother. What Jesus was trying to convey here to this man was, is if you're not willing to lay down that and come and follow me, you can't be a disciple of mine because you don't know what it costs. Because it's going to cost you more than some traditions. It's going to cost you more than a little money. It's going to cost you everything that you are and everything that you could be. That's what it costs to be a disciple of mine. But yet, we as Christians, a lot of times, we don't get that. We sit back in our homes, we sit back in our churches, and we wonder why the world has got to the point it's got. And it's because 
we've skipped over that cost, I do believe. Yeah, sure, we'll give a couple dollars in the offering plate. We'll tithe that 10%, but we skip over that part in Acts where it talks about sacrificial giving. Do you realize from Acts to Revelations, tithing is not taught. Sacrificial giving is taught. But what do we teach and what do we preach? The easy way. The 10%. It's a lot easier in your mind to give 10% than to give 100%. It's a whole lot easier for you to tell, in your mind to give 10% of your time to Christ instead of 100% of your time to Christ. It's a lot easier. It's the easy way. But Christ said, I, ain't one I, I came here. I didn't come down here in an easy way. I came down here the most hardest way that you could possibly imagine. I was born in a stable. I had nothing. I gave it all up so that you, I could see you, and I could get glory from you if you'll follow me. He goes on in Matthew 10, 34 through 39. says, Think not that I come to send peace upon the earth. I came not to send peace but a sword, for I come to set man of variance against his father, his daughter, against his mother, against his daughter-in-law, against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. And he that loveth his father or his mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that is not willing to take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loses his life for my sake shall find it. Here again, this is not something he just says once. He constantly brings this point home, constantly to his disciples, constantly to the multitudes. Count the cost, because it ain't free. It's not a get-out-of-hell-free card. Just for, I didn't come down here to save you so that you could just get out of hell. I came down here to get glory out of you, because that is the only way that I'm going to get glory, is because when Satan came into the Garden of Eden and he snuck in and he let sin slip in and we decided as a human race to turn against God and to try to be like him, Satan thought he had won. He took the glory away from God, but he didn't. Jesus came down to make a way that he could be glorified through us, through his creation, that he could get glory again. But yet, we a lot of times, we don't want to give that glory because that glory will cost us something. It will cost you time. It will cost you emotional. It will cost you physically. It will cost you a lot. If you truly seek after Christ, it will cost you everything. But yet, we don't want to hear that. Because that's not easy to preach, that's not easy to teach, and it certainly ain't easy to evangelize. Think about it. He had a multitude of people here, and he could have sat back and said, you know what, if you come to me, you'll have all the foods you want, you'll have all the clothes that you can put on your back, I'll, I'll heal you just like I'm healing you now, everybody in your family will be healed even if I'm not here. But he didn't do that. He said, count the cost before you come to me. Even to the point that he said, you have to be willing to deny your family. That they may one day turn upon you. That they may one day forsake you because you chose me. 
Are you willing to do the hard thing? Because if you're not, you can't be a disciple of mine. And he goes on and he says, even your own life, he cannot be my disciple. If you're not willing to do this, you can't be my disciple. That's pretty harsh. He didn't put no shades of gray in there. If, and, if you go this way, if, if, if you pray hard enough, if you come to church every Sunday, if you come to church every Wednesday night, if you tithe your 10%, no, no, no. He didn't ask for none of that. He said plainly, if you're not willing to do this, you cannot be my disciple. He laid it clear, black and white. You're either in or you're out. No shade of gray. You know, so we got to be able to do that. we got to be able to have a radical obedience that also supersedes our own life. He says, even to your own life. You know, self-preservation is one of the strongest urges, natural urges of a human man or human woman. And it, it goes farther than just physical needs. It goes farther than just emotional. It, it's, it's a draw inside of us that we, we want to preserve ourselves, whether it be our body from harm, whether it be our mind from harm, whether it be our family. But he says, you know what? You've got to be willing to deny that. You've got to be willing to lay that down for me. Are you willing? You know, he says in Matthew 10 also, in verses 16 through 21, it says, Behold, I send you as sheep into the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware, men, but for they will deliver you up into the councils, and they will scourge you in the synagogues, and ye shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake, for my testimony against them, the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, take no thought how you will speak, for it shall be given unto you the same hour what you shall speak. For it is not ye that speaketh, but the Spirit of your Father that speaketh for you. And brethren shall deliver you up to brother to death, and the father and child and children shall rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. Now, does that sound like something you want to sign up for? He goes on to say in verse 22, And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. Now, does that reach home to us for a second here? In other words, he says, you're going to be beat for me. You're going to be hated for me. So those social needs that you have, you better forget them. Those family needs that you have, you better forget them. Because there's going to be people in your own family that's going to turn against you. There's going to be your friends that's going to turn against you. There's going to be family. There's going to be people that you don't even know that's going to hate you, loathe you, despise you for my name's sake. Paul had such a wonderful way of saying it. I count all this but light affliction for the cause of Christ. Do we have that same mindset? Are we willing to pay that light affliction as Paul called it? There is a cost. And it, super, it supersedes our own self-preservation. That, that, that obedience, that radical obedience, because this was very radical for them to hear him say this. It was. Because to them, what do you mean that i got to be willing to deny my family? 
Now you think about it. We know that at least half the disciples had families. Do you really hear them mention much? Do you hear them saying, oh, i got to go home and take care of my kids? Oh, wait, i got to go home and feed my family. They forsook all to follow Christ. The ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate goal. But we don't preach it, we don't teach it, because we don't want it. We want to have our life in Christ too, and it don't work. It does not work. You want to know why the church in North America is suffering so much? It's because of that theology. Because we live it in our everyday lives. We, we, want to have, we want to hold on to the world in one hand and Jesus in the other. And it does not work. Radical obedience that, that even supersedes our only self-preservation. And also denying self-gain. Listen to what he says here. He says, so likewise, in verse 33, Whosoever be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. He didn't put just a little bit. He said, A-double-L, all that he hath. You know, that is a hard thing for us to think about. You know, when we get saved, we think, oh boy. We get that great feeling inside. We get that joy, and that's great. But it's not just about that feeling. It's not just that joy. It's about glorifying the Creator, the great I Am, Yahweh, Omega, the, the beginning, the end. It's about glorifying God, not ourselves. To deny oneself, to deny the, the, the self-gain of this world because it is a natural lust of all man since the garden of want. I want a house, I want land, I want cars, I want technology, I want power, I want fame, I want fortune. We are a wanting people. But when we take on the, the veil of Christianity, and we take on the brand of Christianity, and we take on the Christ, and we become a Christian, when we get on our knees and we ask Christ to save our souls, we are giving that up, or we're supposed to. Now, yes, it's a process. It's not you're going to get up and you're going to be perfect. That's not what he's saying here. But he's saying you have to have the want to. As my granny used to say, you got to have the want to. Do you want to do this? Do you desire it more than anything? Do you desire it more than those riches? Do you desire it more than that career? Do you desire it more than that fame or that social acceptance? What do you desire the most? You know, in Luke 9, verses 23 through 25, he said, And he said unto them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall save it. For what man the vantage if he gain the whole world but lose himself or be cast away? What does he have to gain? Nothing. He ain't gained nothing. And one of the saddest stories in the Bible, in my opinion, was the rich young man. Came to Jesus and said, what must I do? I've been a good Jew. I've followed the law since I was a little boy. I've done everything that the law tells me to do. And Jesus looked at him and said, go and sell everything you own. Give it to the poor and come and follow me. 
What does it say? Instead of jumping up for joy, it says he went away weeping, for he had much. What would have happened the night we got saved if Christ would have said, go and sell everything you own and come and follow me? What would have happened if he would have told us the same thing? But you know what? He did. When we got on our knees that night or that day or that evening, we signed up for that. We signed up to give it all up for Christ, for his glory, not our glory, to deny self-gain, to deny ourself, to deny self-preservation, to lay it all on the line for him, to lay it all on the altar, so to speak, for Christ's glory. And for what reason? Why would Christ say this? Why would Christ say, you've got to be willing to do this for me? He goes on here in the last two verses, and he says, salt is good. But if salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? In other words, you don't get salt and put it on your food if it don't add no flavor to it. You don't take A1 sauce on a bad steak if it ain't going to cover up the taste of the bad steak. It's useless. It's got to be worth something. Anything that's worth anything costs you something. It's got to be worth something. It's got to be worth seasoning. And the only way it's going to be worth something, our salvation, is if we're willing to lay it all on the line for Him. Because if not, what is the difference between a Christian and a good person? What is the difference between a Christian and a good person? If we're not willing to lay down our life, if we're not willing to lay down our wants, what is the difference between us and a good person? Because a good person won't steal most of the time. A good person, he'll even give money to the poor. A good person will help a man on the side of the road every once in a while. A good person will honor his father and mother. A good person will do a lot of things. But it stops short when it comes to denying himself. And that's where Christ picks up. That's where we as Christians start. You're, it's not about being a good person. Nobody's good. The Bible says all have sinned and fell short of the glory of God. It's about picking up that banner and saying, I'm willing. I am willing to lay it all down for you. To count it all but light affliction for my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For my God, Yahweh. I'll give it all to you. It says, much is given, much is required. But what do we do? You know, what, what do we do with this? You know, we, we, we sit back and we'll toil and we'll toil and we'll say, well, I'll, I'll do better. I'll do better tomorrow. I'll do better next week. Give me another day. I'll figure it out. I'll, I'll figure out a way. No, it starts right now. In our lives are saying, are we willing to deny ourselves for Christ? Because this world, in North America especially, and the rest of the world too, but mainly here in North America because of this all-consuming self, what they see when they see a Christian is somebody comes to church on Sunday and Sunday night and Wednesday night. But there's no difference between him and a good man. They don't see the glory of God being worked in that individual. 
They don't see it. One of, the, one of the greatest stories I've heard in a while was a missionary said that uh, he was over in the Middle East. Said and he was over there doing some preaching and stuff. Said it was right before things got really bad. And he said it was already bad, but it hadn't got to the point where they were lashing out on Americans yet. Instead, he came to a man that had been saved, and they said, we want you to meet this guy. He, he's amazing. He don't care where he goes, how, where it's at. He'll preach right in the middle of the, the, the radical terrorist, and he'll hope that they kill him so he can be a martyr for glory of God. He's crazy. You've got to meet this guy. So he said he went and met him and sat down with him and listened to his testimony. And he said, I once was one of those terrorists. And he said, we came up on a village and we were doing a Bible raid. He said, well, we'll go in and we'd rip all the stuff out of suspected Christians that had been converts from the Muslim, the Muslim religion. And he said, we'd rip everything out, see if we could find a shred of evidence that said that they were a Christian. And if we could find that shred, he said, then we could persecute them. He said, we'd done it publicly. He said, we went into this one house, a family of four, a five, and he said, they brought them out into the street and they found one little scripture. John 3.16. So they brought him out and they set him down. They went to the Father and they say, if you'll denounce Christ and convert back to Islam, we won't do nothing to your family. He said, I can't do it. Went over to the little girl, two-year-old, shot her. Went back to him. Will you denounce Christ and come back to Islam? I can't do it. His son, his only son, 10-year-old, they beat him and then killed him. Come back to him, same thing. I can't do it. Tears and agony. Went to his oldest daughter. Will you deny Christ? No, I can't do it. So they raped her and beat her in front of him and shot her. Got up to his wife. Done the same thing that they did to the eldest daughter. Left him alive as a punishment for conversion. He said they thought, he thought for sure that the man they was hoping he would jump up and lash out and go after him. He didn't. said he got up and hugged the man that just shot his wife and said, I'll pray for your soul because I serve a God of love. And said he walked away weeping and wailing and crying and said he cried out the whole time as he walked away crying out to his father in heaven just in agony and he said he went home that night and said he laid down and said he tossed and he turned he couldn't sleep for days on end couldn't eat what kind of man would do that hug me after I just killed his whole entire family and he said he laid there one night and it came to him in a dream. He didn't do that. I did. And it was Jesus. Because that man was willing to pay the cost. And what happened after that? That man got saved. And he became pretty much a modern day Paul. He would go into any place. He didn't care where it was at, whether it was some little small group or some big group of 500 radical terrorists. He would go right in the midst of them, that preacher said. And said he would stand there and say, Jesus loves you. 
convert. Because he died for your sins. He was sharing that same love that that man shared to him when he saw his whole family obliterated before him. But he was able through the power of the Holy Spirit to get up and walk over and wrap his arms around the man, the murderer, that just took his children's life and his, his, his wife's life and say, I love you. Jesus loves you. God got glory out of that in ways that man could not fathom because a man was willing to pay the cost. What are you willing to pay for? Are you willing to pay the cost to be a Christian? There's no shades of gray here. You're either in or you're out. That's why the book of Revelation is called the lukewarm church because the root of the reason why the church is failing today in North America is because of that. We, we want to straddle the fence, but God said you can't serve me and mammon. you got to pick a side. you got to deny yourself or you got to be on that side. But one way or another, you're going to pick a side. Because he says if you're neither hot nor cold, he will spew you out of his mouth. That's a terrible thought to think. But Jesus laid it so plain more than once. If you're not willing to do this, you cannot be my disciple. So what will you choose? What will you do with the remainder of your life as a Christian? Will you risk straddling that fence or being right on the verge? Or will you step over and say, God, I give it all to you. All to you I owe. A crimson stain, you washed me white as snow. Are you willing to devote your life, your, your, your everything to Christ? Because that is what he requires. There is no way in between. There is no meeting him halfway. There is no 10%, 20%. There's only 100% radical obedience, even unto death. Though he slay me, I will trust him. That's what Job said. Do we have that kind of desire for Christ? You know, you say, well, Chris, the church is doing all right. You know, we, we're, we seem to be doing pretty good. We see converts. We see lots of churches open. We see tons of people in the church. The church is doing all right. If that's the case, why is it in Tennessee alone, four million people, identify with the Christian faith. Now we know, obviously, that not all those are Christian, but they identify with the Christian name. There's 15,000 homeless in the state of Tennessee. That's documented. Now get that, documented. There's way more than that, but they can only go off the average documented. 7,500 children in foster care. 400 Needing a mom and dad. One million two hundred and eight thousand in poverty. Thirty thousand in prison. Fifty thousand alcoholics documented. Two thousand meth addicts. Five thousand opiate addicts. Eleven thousand on other drugs. If the church is doing so well, 
Why are these numbers here? Think about that as Cecil comes. There's an offer of invitation. I ask you tonight, are you willing to pay the cost of salvation? What are you wanting in this life? What are you willing to dedicate to God? Because he either he wants either it all or nothing. You've got to choose which. Which one will you choose? Which one will you be? Will you be the rich young man that went away weeping? Or will you be like Paul? I count it all but light affliction. Which one will you choose?